Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our associate and student pastor, Matt Willingham. So good to see you this morning. So good to see all of you here at Valpo. I want to welcome all of you watching online. Welcome you at our other locations at Wanatal, at North Judson, at at uh, Hebron, at Westville, Full Throttle, NPA. Come on, can you put your hands together? Let them know you're here. Let them know you're awake this morning. So good to see all of you this morning. Man, again, congratulations to all of our graduating seniors and eighth graders and fifth graders. And uh, I know we recognize kind of students that are involved here. And so if, you, if we did miss your student by accident, we apologize, didn't do it intentionally. But you come see us after service. We do have extra books or Maybe you know someone like, hey, I'd love to give a Bible to, or I'd love to give a devotional to. We can hook you up for that for sure. And uh, hey, I also got to uh, recognize Richard, I think, or uh, Brian, I always call him Richard. Brian is here uh, from the military, uh, Marine, he's a, he's a Marine, he's off duty right now. Brian, stand and wave at your church family, Brian. He was here last week, and I missed him, and I was at North Judson preaching last week at our other campus, and uh, my wife saw a photo of, of Brian at home or uh, uh, on Facebook, and my boys instantly hated me. I got yelled at from North Judson all the way back to Valpo that they missed Brian at church, so I'm glad that he's here for a while. Make sure you shake his hand and say what's up. And I was also at North Judson uh, last week, and a lady came up to me. I never met this lady before. Some of you heard my story a couple weeks ago about Manuel. Manuel uh, is at our Wanatal campus, and I had I was preaching a message on disappointment, and I met and I went and I met Manuel, and after I met Manuel, Manuel's on the worship team now. I hope you're watching at Wanatal. You better be there, Manuel. I'm telling a story about you. And so uh, when I met him, I noticed like Manuel was looking at me, kind of like just looking at me, like sizing me up and down. And I'm like, Yo, what's up? And then he finally said to me, He goes, You're a lot shorter in person than you are on the screen. And I was like, Oh man. But I was at North Judson, and the lady told me, she goes, you're a lot taller in person than what you look on the screen. So take that, Manuel. How about that? You can't tell I ain't been bitter about that ever since he told me that at all. So John chapter 5 is where we're going to go this morning. John chapter 5. And uh, we've been in a series all year talking about questions God asks. And we've been looking at questions that he asks us, not so much the questions we ask him. We're good at asking God questions, right? We're good at asking Jesus questions. But actually, in the gospel... Actually, when you begin to read, Jesus asks more questions than he ever answered. A lot of people call it Jesus the answer. I believe he is the answer. But I think even more than that, I think sometimes he's the question. Because sometimes he'll ask you things, right, just to search and just to kind of see where you are in life. And I always loved uh, Jesus' response. Matter of fact, oftentimes when he did get asked a question, he wouldn't even answer it. Matter of fact, you read through the Gospels, he really only answers a question eight times except for and many other times he would answer somebody's question with a question and then a story. That's how he would come back at you. Uh, he would be like, well, let me ask you this question. And as a matter of fact, how about this one time when they were planting seeds in the field? What do you think of that? And, like, they would just throw you for a loop. And so we've been looking at questions that, that God asks us and questions that we find in our text. And John chapter 5, there we go, bring it up. Well, thank you, Colin. Y'all get up for Colin. I thought you left me hanging out. Colin, Colin, what's up, bro? It's like rolling. I ain't about to lay down and take a nap. Flip it over. I think you got to flip it over is what it is. We'll get it. We'll get it. We'll get it. There it is. Boom. Close enough. That's good enough. John chapter 5. Verse 1 says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. 
What's the over-under that I trip over this thing today at some point in time? Um, after Jesus had went up to Jerusalem, now there in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called a Hebrew, in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after stirring, the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. And now a certain man who, a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. Everybody say 38 years. 38 years. It's a long time to have some issues. 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, here's the question today, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? One translation reads even better. The question that he asks is, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? Let's pray one more time. God, I thank you for your presence that is here today. God, thank you for your goodness over our life, your grace and mercy. God, thank you for your son Jesus dying on the cross. God, it's because of him we can come into your presence today. And God, I just pray over these next few minutes, God, that you would just open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds to what it is you have to say to us. God, let them not just hear me speaking, but Holy Spirit, let, them, let us hear you speaking today. God, I pray for every location, every person watching online, God, every person here at Valpo, challenge and change us today. Let us leave different than how we were when we walked in, in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said amen. 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 Do you want to be made whole? The title, I've entitled my message today, Lame and Lonely. Lame and Lonely. This place, Bethesda, is, a, is an interest, interesting pool. It's an interesting place in history. You can say, I got a picture right here. This is kind of what it looked like. In the biblical days, you had the Temple Mount. You had kind of off in the distance, you see the photo there, the crucifixion. That's where that took place, Pool of Israel, the Eastern Wall. Uh, and then outside, you had this place called Bethesda. This is actually a real photo uh, of this place now. You can actually visit today because this place was actually um, something that has been under uh, a lot of debate for a very long time. And it was in the uh, 1800s. Matter of fact, about the 1890s, they began to dig around this place called St. Anne's Church in Jerusalem. One thing we know about history, I don't want to bore you this morning, but I'll give you a little facts to kind of back your faith. One thing we know about history is oftentimes churches were built upon historic places uh, for Christians. So if there's a church there, oftentimes they begin to dig around because they know there's probably something significant about this place. And they, as they begin to dig around this St. Anne's Church in Jerusalem in the 1890s, they begin to find these five colonnades, these five columns, and what they have now discovered and excavated is now what we know the Pool of Jerusalem does, or the Pool of Bethesda does exist. Isn't that amazing? I tell the teenagers all the time, the more we dig, the more we find out the Bible is legit. Duh. Of course that's going to happen in archaeology. I love it. They have not, uh, they have not had one archaeological discovery that has, that has refuted or debated anything that we read in the Bible. It always confirms it, and I love that. But here's this place. I just give you a little historical background that Jesus finds himself. Now, he shows up to Jerusalem because he's a part of a feast. We don't know which one. There's three major feasts in the, in the Israel uh, history, but, but we know that because of these feasts happen, oftentimes many people return to Jerusalem to worship, and so that is why Jesus is here, and he 
shows up in Jerusalem to this place called the Pool of Bethesda. Now, what I love about the Pool of Bethesda, it's not only beautiful, and it's not only has these five columns, and it's not only these two pools that are there separated by these five columns, but the Pool of Bethesda really means, when you study it out, the name means Pool of Mercy. Isn't that a beautiful name? The Pool of Mercy. Some people call it the Pool of Miracles because this is a place where the sick would gather, the, the multitude would come to kind of be around this place. But what I love about and what I find so peculiar about this place, the Pool of, of, of Bethesda, which is called the Pool of Mercy, is we really read in our story, it's not a magnitude of mercy happening, it's really the magnitude of a mess going on. Because we read in our scripture, it says that now they're in Jerusalem by the sheep gate of pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great, what's that word, church? Read it with me. A great what? Mess. Come on, say it with me. A great multitude, a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. What a magnitude of mess we see. The very place that really was supposed to be a place of miracles has now become a place of misery. Did you see it? This place that was supposed to be known for its beauty. This place that was supposed to be known for miracles. This place that was supposed to be known for the mercy that it brought. There's blind people. There's lame people. There's paralyzed people. There's sick people. Just what a miserable place this has become. We know as we study that these pools are about the size of a football field. Some people say two football fields combined. Combined five of them are, are they're separated by these five colonnades. They're these massive things that look beautiful. All of them are clustered. And here we go. Here we find all of these people, though, clustered around this pool. But as they're waiting on this troubling of the water, the scripture tells us. Sitting in this place of mercy, really just stuck in their misery. And what are they doing? They're waiting on the water to be stirred. Which really I find interesting because when you study, it's really just superstition is all it is. There's really no magic power in the water being stirred. It's really just superstitious belief that they have. You go study history. What they did not understand is under the pool of Bethesda, there were these artesian wells that was underneath the ground. And so what would happen, these artesian wells would begin to well up and steam and bubble. And because they would bubble, then the ground would begin to move. And sometimes the the water would be released through there. Our minerals would be released to the ground. And because of these artesian wells working underneath the ground, that's actually what caused the water to begin to stir and begin to have ripples. But they thought it was an angel getting in the water, stirring it up. And really it was just this superstitious belief. And they really did not realize that something underneath was really going on. And it was superstition that really brought them there. And it was superstition that kept them in their misery. I know what you're thinking. I'm not superstitious, so why are you telling me this? Oh, we are. Oh, we are. We are very superstitious in our own ways, in our own thinking. We would never call it superstition because that's just, I mean, we're church people. We're people of faith. Bless God. I just stand, every God, all of God's promises are yes and amen. Hallelujah. I'm just going to claim everything that God has for me. No, we're really superstitious. We come to a place in our life where we think it's really about doing it all ourselves. We think it's about making it happen ourselves. So we'll say things like this. Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. We'll say something like this. Well, listen, if I could just find the right person to marry, then I will have a perfect marriage. Superstition. Versus if I be the right person to marry, then I will have a good marriage. 
If I could just get my kids involved in the right sports, if I can get them involved in the right club, if I can get them around the right people, if I can get them in right, involved in the right uh, uh, friend group, if I can, you know, if they could just kind of be part of the crowd, then I know they're going to grow up and be successful people and everything will be okay. No, superstition. Because the Bible says if I train up a child the way that he should go, and, that, and, that, and, that, and if I train up a child the way that, that God says to train them up, that if I instill in them, Right, the seeds, if I instill in them the word of God, that as they grow, they will not depart from the ways. That's what the Bible says. Superstition. I, I, I need a breakthrough in my life financially, so if I could just do more, if I could just work more, if I could just create more things, if I could just do all of this, if I could get more stuff, I'm going to have more happiness. If I, if I could have more things, it will bring more joy in my life. No, superstition. We don't call it superstition, but really what that is, it's a place of, in our life that we think it's a place of mercy, but it's really just providing more misery. It's really providing just more unhappiness in our life. I mean, again, go back to this gentleman. Here is this gentleman. He's lame, and he's lying at the place. He's lying at the place that promises to cure him, and yet he's been there for 38 years. And again, don't look now. Maybe it's not Bethesda for us, but maybe for you and I, if we're honest with ourselves, oftentimes we find ourselves depending on something that has great promises only to leave us feeling empty again. Oh, I have these great promises for my life. Oh, man, if I could just get the right person, if I could just have the right job, if I could just live in the right house, if I could just, you know, go to the right church, if I could just get in the right small group. And all, of, all, we, all we find ourselves doing, all of these places that should provide great promises for our life, we find ourselves empty, disappointed, still longing for a cure, still longing for answers, still longing for peace of mind, waiting at the house of mercy, but we're still sitting in our misery. And don't, don't look now. It's not just Bethesda, but maybe it's a substance that we pick up. Maybe it's a thought process that we have. Maybe it's church. Listen, I'm glad you come to church. I'm glad you come and you sing, you're worthy of it all. I'm, I'm glad you do all of that. But listen, this is not just where it happens. God's presence is more than just something that happens inside of four walls. And if we're not careful, even church itself can become a place that we think it's a place of mercy, but we can come right in miserable and we can leave miserable because we don't get his promises involved in our life. And, and watch, what, what Jesus is about to show us, I think what he's going to show us about this man, what he, what he shows me in my own life, it's, it's not the outer part of the man that was blind and lame and paralyzed. It's not the outer part, it's not just his legs that had become paralyzed, it was also his heart. He, and again, for you and I this morning, maybe we're not physically blind, but some of us have walked in and we're spiritually blind. Maybe we are not physically lame, but maybe we've walked in this place and we're spiritually limping along life because we've just been waiting. And, and God, I want you to, but I'm just miserable in my circumstances. I'm miserable in my life. Maybe we're not physically paralyzed, but we're spiritually unable to move, even though we know God is moving. And what his word says, we just find ourselves sitting and waiting. And it should be mercy, but all oh, it looks like misery can picture this pool, that this beautiful place, that this beautiful place that is now really just, just there, there's bodies laying around, wounded bodies laying around everywhere. And the more I begin to read this story, can you picture Jesus, right, showing up to this place? The more I read the story and this interaction with the man, the man's problem was not that he was just paralyzed. He had been 
at this place for 38 years. Can I talk to you about the danger of despair? How long had he been at this pool? Tell me. All right, more than just the front row. Tell me. How long has he been at this pool? 38 years. The Bible says this man has had this issue, this infirmity for 38 years. Now, we don't know exactly how he got in this condition. We don't know exactly what happened to him. Was it something that happened since birth? I do know by Scripture, and this is I look at it in context, that maybe, and oftentimes theologians think that this guy is in this predicament because of his own decisions in his own life, and we think maybe that is probably supported by Scripture because just a few verses after the miracle, Jesus runs into him again, and he sees him, and he's dancing around, and he's having fun. I don't know if he's in the club. I don't know what happened, but, but Jesus sees him, and, and he looks at him. and says, hey, man, listen, you need to straighten up, or if not, uh, you're going to go back. You're going to be worse than what you were the first time, so stop doing what you're doing. So, so I think that maybe it was a lot. Maybe did he have a gambling debt, and he didn't pay the bookie, and they broke his legs. I don't know what happened. I don't know if he got mouthy with his wife and, like, she kicked him in his, in his knee. And, like, I don't know what happened. But, but we do know that somehow he has got to this point and he's been there for 38 years. And we get discouraged when God doesn't answer our prayer in a week. We get impatient when we're like, God, I've been praying for two months for this to happen. And it ain't happened yet. Why don't you hurry up? 38 years this gentleman had this issue. And when Jesus looks at this paralyzed man, and he has this conversation with him. It's been 38 years, though, and, and, and the Bible says that he's been laying there. And, and I can just imagine the despair in his life. I can imagine the discouragement that he's having. And then here's another thought I had. How did he get there in the first place? Because if he cannot walk, I'm sure he didn't roll his happy tail down the road to get to where he's at, Right? This is how I read the Bible. This is how I read the Bible. I'm, I'm sure someone had to carry him there. So, so maybe there were some friends of like, yo, we're going to call him, uh, we'll just call him Matt. Just Come on, Matt. We got to take you to the pool of Bethesda because that's where you get your miracle. And, and maybe his friends brought him there on the mat. And maybe they waited with him for a while. But now it's been 38 years. He has nobody. That's what his response says. So where are the people that even got him there? That's a whole other message that I could preach to us this morning and talk about be careful who you surround yourself with. Because there's another story I could take you to in Mark chapter 2. Some of y'all have read it before. Remember, there was another man with a mat, and the friends brought him to go see Jesus. But the Bible says they couldn't get in the house because it was so full. So what did they say? They didn't just set him down. They didn't lead him. They're like, hey, snap, I got a good idea. Let's go to the roof. Let's rip a hole in this mug, and let's drop him right in front of Jesus, right? And so that's the kind of friends that just this gentleman has. And so I could preach a whole message that, listen, sometimes it's important for us to understand who we have around us. Because when I need a breakthrough, I don't need somebody leaving me when it gets hard. When I need a breakthrough, I don't need somebody who can say just now I lay me down to sleep prayer. I need somebody who can get along with me and get along with me and get along with Jesus and, and press in and do whatever it takes. If it's got to rip a roof, I need somebody that can rip a roof for me. I don't need somebody that's just going to lay me down and leave, right? I need somebody who's going to hang with me in my life. That's not my message. Oh, it's not my message. So I can imagine, though, the despair in his life. He's been here for 38 years. Whoever brought him has left him, so he finds himself alone, and, and, and he begins to, we're going to see it in his response. I know the difference here, because watch, being desperate will make you determined, but living in desperation will make you doubt. This is where he's at in his life. Desperate, desperation is a good thing if you learn how to be desperate. Last week, we talked about the one with the issue of blood. You've ever read the story, the woman with the issue of blood had the issue for 12 years. 
She had spent everything she had. She was broke. And she was so desperate, the Bible says, to get to Jesus that she broke every social rule. She broke every legal rule because she was unclean. By history and by church theology, we know that she was not even allowed to be in public. She was not allowed to touch anyone. She was not allowed to be anywhere. So, so she broke every social rule, every economical rule, every religious rule, um, every, every, um, every, every lawful rule. Like she broke everything. Why? Because she was so, de- if I could just get the G, she was so determined, I will push back past anybody I need to push back. I will crawl. I will walk. You will not stop me. I will do anything I can just to get to Jesus. So I, I tell you another one. Blind Bartimaeus, the Bible says Jesus. He hears Jesus coming, and he starts screaming, hey, Jesus! And they're like, hey, shh, blind. Blind Bartimaeus, shut up. He said, no, no, no. Jesus! He starts to scream. They're like, hey, man, stop. You, you like, you like, you're disrupting everybody, and he's screaming. Why? He was so desperate. And listen, when you're desperate and you're determined, being desperate is good because you'll be determined. You'll say, I'll do anything I got to do to help my kid. I'll do anything I got to do to fix my marriage. I will do anything I got to do to get to church. But when you're living in desperation, oh, it changes your faith because you begin to doubt. I don't know if God can turn it around, Pastor Matt. I've been waiting for 38 years on this mat. I don't know if, if God can do a mat. I don't know if I can get to the pool to get what I need. I don't know if I can raise my kids. I've been trying for 10 years, and they still acting crazy. I don't know if I got what it takes as a parent. I don't know if my marriage can get through this. And watch, when we find ourselves, instead of being determined, being doubtful, it's dangerous. Because watch this. We see it in his response. Instead of staring at the pool, we'll start just relaxing and we'll become stale on the porch. Here's this man. How long has he been in our church? Come on, how long has he been in our church? 38 years. And he's no longer even staring at at the pool. He's become comfortable now in his circumstances. And he's stale. Sitting on the porch Watching everybody else get theirs and not even trying to get his anymore. Yeah, y'all, I remember growing up, I don't know if you, what kind of neighborhood you grew up, but back in Kentucky, uh, when, when I grew up as a little kid, we had like them old school neighborhoods where everybody was close and houses was close. And y'all remember like them OGs that would sit on the front porch all day and all afternoon. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all ever seen the OGs? So I don't know if they do it anymore. I live out in the country, folk. We don't have, we don't have like neighbors. But, but they would sit on the porch uh, and they would always like just conversate and they would talk about everything that was happening as people walked by. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You've seen it in the movies or something like, oh, man, here comes Matt and Leslie. Oh, looks like they got a new puppy. That must be pretty nice. They got a new puppy for their family. Oh, look, here comes John and Kelsey driving by. They got a new car. Well, God must be good to them. He must be blessing their life. I don't know why he can't bless me. And, and they'll comment on everything that's going on, and they never leave the porch. Don't look now. We do the same thing spiritually. That sometimes we get so comfortable, sometimes we get so stale, even in our own life. And maybe we've even been disappointed. And maybe if we're honest, we even find ourselves doubting that now we're just sitting on the porch and we're just watching life go by. We're watching it. Oh, that's great. God bless their marriage. That must be good, man. Oh, that's cool. Oh, look, their kids are acting right. They in church now. Oh, look, their kids is on the worship team. Isn't that so great? That must be. And we will find ourselves and watch. We will, if we're not careful, don't act like you're more saved than me. We will sit on the porch of our life and we'll become judgmental by everything that's going by us. And we'll miss out. 
Come on, you've seen it before. I'll talk to all the seasoned people. This is for people who've been around church for a minute. And, and you watch somebody new come in, and they're excited. They just gave their heart to Christ, and they're excited. They're worshiping. Their hands are high. And you've probably thought something like this. Don't worry about it, honey. That, that excitement will calm down. Just wait till life hits you really good. Come on, you've thought it before. Don't act like you ain't ever done it. Oh, I don't know why they acted so crazy in church right now with worship. I mean, I just had a bad week. Trust me. They let them have a week like I did, and their hands will not be that high. I'll tell you that right now. Like, come on, we've done it before. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves, we're just like that, and we've become stale in our own life, just sitting on the porch. Listen, it wasn't just his legs that was not working. It was something inside of his heart. And I think the question that Jesus has for him is, is something that he's really going to another level because this is what I know in my own life is that when God is ready to move me to another level, when God is about to get me to a breakthrough, that he will remove all hindrances and the setbacks and the excuses that I have in my life. And he'll often ask me the question in order to really get to the heart of the matter because this was his problem. It wasn't that his legs was not working. The man's problem was that he had his sight on the wrong source. He had his sight on the wrong source because Jesus sees him there. And, he, and, he, and the Bible says that he knows that he's already been in this condition for a long time. How? I don't know. I don't know. Did he talk to people? We know. Probably it's because it's Jesus. Jesus knows everything. And he looks at him and he says, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made whole? And the man's answer was, listen, and look at the answer. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another one steps down before me. Hold up. Jesus said, sir, do you want to be made well? How long has he been sitting here, church? 38 years. 38 years. This is a simple yes or no question. Did y'all read it the way I read it? I mean, it's very simple. Or, or, or I'll give him a benefit of doubt. I'll give him a benefit of doubt. Or maybe a sarcastic question. What do you think, Jesus? Do you think I want to be here? Like maybe, maybe he could have gave that one, right? Maybe he could have gave that one. But Jesus asked him the question, do you want to be made whole? Either yes or no. It's like them little love notes. Check yes, check no. Right? One of the two. Or maybe you can circle the maybe. I don't know. One of the two. But do you want to be made well? And his, and his response is, well, sir, I have no one to put me in the water when it's stirred. And when I go to move, somebody beats me there. What is that? It's an excuse. An excuse. And, and, and don't look now. We're full of them. I, I can take you back to Genesis. I'll show you. This is how we work. This is human nature. I'll take you back to Genesis. In the garden, Adam and Eve, God says, this is all yours. You can have anything. Just don't eat of this one tree. Adam and Eve are in there. Serpent comes to Eve, tricks her. Right? Eve takes it to Adam. He bites it. They take it the fruit. God comes down to the garden. He's looking for Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are you? And he finds Adam. He says, hey, hey, what'd you do? Adam's first response was, go read it in Genesis. What does he say? Well, the woman you gave me made me do something. And he pointed. What, what was that? An excuse. Then, then, then God goes to Eve. Eve, what happened? And he's like, well, the serpent uh, tricked me. You know how crafty that snake is, God. I don't know why he's in the garden anyway. The serpent tricked me. And, and what is that? An excuse. I'll, I'll even show you another one. God goes to Moses, says, Moses, I've raised you up. You're going to be the leader. You're going to lead nation, the nation of Israel out of bondage. And, and you're going to go speak to Pharaoh. And you're going to set my people free. And Moses is like, well, hold up, God. I would love to, but I got, st 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 I got, st st I got a stuttering problem. What is that? 
an excuse. And don't look now, we do the same things in our own life. We find ourselves coming to God. That's what Jesus says. He says, do you want to be made well? And his answer was an excuse. And this is what I've come to understand. Excuses will often block me from getting my breakthrough. Is I will find myself, instead of hanging on to what God said, I'll find a reason. I'll find a reason why I don't have it yet. I'll find a reason why my marriage is not working. I'll find a reason why my finances are still the same. I'll find a reason why I can't be on a serving team. A reason why I can't be in a small group. I'll find a reason why I'm just too shy and I'm not really about like sharing my faith. Oh, we're good at finding reasons. Give me a reason. We're good at finding reasons. Every one of us can find one. Well, God will say to us, well, do you want a husband or a wife? Well, listen, all the good ones are taken already, God. And so since all the good ones are taken, I guess I'm just going to be single my whole life. Excuses. Hey, do you want a new job? I know you've been praying for a new job. And, and do you want a new job? I can open doors for you. Well, God, I mean, I'd love to have a new job, but you know how it works. As soon as I'm going to apply, somebody else more qualified is going to apply than me. They'll probably get the promotion than before I will. And so now not only do I have a job, I, have, I don't have a new job, and now I'm disappointed. Excuses. Hey, do you want reliable transportation? Well, I can't afford a car payment, God. You know how my finances are, and I've been trying to afford a car payment. Now I can't afford a car payment. Hey, do you want your marriage to work? Hey, do you want healing in your life? I don't care. I don't know. You don't know what it is, or you know what the answer is in your life. Do you want to lose weight? Do you want to be healthy? Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be mentally restored? Do you want to be able to let go? But I would love to let go, but God, you don't know how bad that person hurt me. You know, I know it's been 15 years, but they really hurt me bad, and it really stung a lot, so you know I can't let that go. Do you hear what it is? It's just excuses. And excuses will often stand in the way of my own breakthrough because excuses make me look and make the, my sight be on, on the wrong thing. And if I don't have the right sight, listen to me this morning, if I don't have the right sight about what I'm looking at, then it will affect what I say about my circumstances. Do you want to be made whole? Well, I don't have nobody to get me in the pool. I mean, clearly, I'm lame. Hello, this ain't working. And I'm lonely. I have no one around me to help. You don't know what it's like, Pastor Matt, to try to do it all by myself. You don't know what it's like, Pastor Matt. I come to church and I'm bringing the kids and, 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 and our spouses are, my spouse is coming. But you don't know what it's like. Jesus asked this seemingly strange question. And it was almost as if it was designed to focus the man's attention on Jesus. It was almost designed as if Jesus was saying, look, you've been looking at the wrong thing. You've been waiting on the wrong source in your life. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be whole? What excuse is it in your life this morning that you've been hanging on to? What excuse have you been allowing in your life to drive you? Well, you know what, I, I would love to kick this thought process, but it's been, been this way now for five years, Pastor Matt. I don't know if I can get through it. I, I would love to kick this, kick this addiction, but, uh, I mean, my dad had this addiction. My grandfather had this addiction. I would, I would love for my marriage to work out, but Pastor Matt, you don't, I mean, divorce runs in our, our marriage. So, you know, I mean, I would love to raise my kids in church and, and, and to teach them the way, but Pastor Matt, I wasn't raised in church, so I don't really know how to raise it in church. And we find ourselves filling our life with, Excuse. And I ain't going to lie. I'm going to be honest. I know you're probably more saved than me, but this is how I read the Bible. If that would have been me, if I was Jesus, thank God I'm not, but if that would have been me and I would ask him that question and he started giving me excuses, 
I might have just kicked him a little bit, not hard, but just pushed him over and then walked away and said, forget this. That's what I probably would have done. I'm just going to be honest. I'm like, really? I asked, the, I asked you, like, and this is the answer you give me. I'm done with you. And really, isn't this the beauty of the gospel message anyway? I mean, think about it. The Bible says there's a multitude of sick, paralyzed, lame people. And I could just imagine Jesus is trying to get to this individual. I mean, Jesus shows up at this pool called Bethesda. There's people, and I can just imagine Jesus like, excuse me, I just, I got to get to this guy right over here. Excuse me, I know, I know you can't see yet right now, but I just, I'll maybe come back to you. Excuse me, I'm just going to step right over you. I know your legs ain't working either, but there's a gentleman right over there I got to go see, and I just got to get to him. And it's really, it'll mess up your theology because you start reading, why did he walk past all of these other people and get to this one gentleman? I mean, it's really the gospel message that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that even sometimes when I'm not looking for it, he comes looking for me, that even sometimes when I feel like I'm not worthy of it, he still searches me out, that even sometimes when doubt is running my life, even sometimes when focus of my life is off, that he still comes and he searches after me and he'll push past everything he can just to get to me. It's the beauty of the gospel message in the story. So the story doesn't stop there. Jesus looks at this man, can, can, can I talk to you about the demand Jesus makes to him? In the declaration, he says, comes to this gentleman. He says, do you, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made whole? He says, I would love to, man, but I don't, I don't have nobody with me. Can't walk, clearly. Can't even get to the pool. Somebody beats me to it. So I'm just sitting here and hanging out for 38 years. It is what it is. Maybe you've been saying that to yourself. It is what it is. I don't know if I'm going to get past this anymore. I don't know if I can kick this thought process. I, I don't know if things will change. It, it, it is what it is. And Jesus looks at him, and, and I love, come on, Lindsay. I, I love this story because, again, last week we talked about the woman with the issue of blood. And that when she grabbed a hold of Jesus, right, we read in our text that she touched Jesus. But when you study the word out, Pastor Phil told us last week that in Greek it means that she literally grabbed a hold of him. She grabbed his garment and wouldn't let go. And so when Jesus says, who touched me, and the disciples, you've read the story, some of you have, and the disciples are like, Jesus, what do you mean who touched you? Like, people everywhere. He goes, no, 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 somebody touched me, somebody grabbed me. And the Bible says that the woman came and fell, and the Bible says this, in your text, in the Word, it says, she told him everything. Now, she had an issue for 12 years. I don't know how long she talked to Jesus, the Bible, the text doesn't tell us. We don't know what detail she went in talking to Jesus. I told, I told the North Judson campus like we, I could just imagine my wife and my son, my middle son Jeremiah, when they tell stories, come on, have you ever done this before? When people start telling you stories, you're like, just get to the details. Give me the short story. Give me the short story, right? This woman comes up to Jesus, though, and the Bible says that she tells him everything, and he listens. He doesn't cut her off. Now, how long did the conversation last? I don't know. I do know this. When I look in the context, I know that Jesus was headed to someone else's house and got stopped with this, uh, with this encounter with this woman. He was headed to someone else, else's house to pray for a daughter who was sick. And while he's talking to this woman, someone comes and gives him word, hey, don't even bother, she's not sick anymore, she's dead. So how long did the conversation last? Long enough for the little girl to die, I know that much. And the Bible says that he listens to this woman and she tells him everything and he doesn't cut her off at all. But in this story, he asked the gentleman this question, do you want to be made whole? And he says, sir, 
I don't have anyone with me who could get me in the water. I, and, and I can't even get there quick enough. And Jesus looks at him in verse 8 and he says, hey, rise up. And when you study it out, you really realize that Jesus cut him off. And it was almost like Jesus was like, I don't have time for you. I don't want to listen to your excuses. Get up. That's what he said. You've been here for 38 years. You, you, you settled in your own life. You found yourself stale. You're doubting. You're not even trying to get to the pool anymore. Get up. What he does? Cuts him off. Don't even listen to what he said. He interrupts this gentleman. In the middle of his discourse, Jesus interrupts him and says, I need you to get up. Listen, aren't you glad that God will interrupt you sometimes? That even though you didn't want him to, even though you was trying to give your story of misery, even though you was trying to give other excuses of all the life, that sometimes God just shows up and says, no, no, now it's not the time. It's time for you to get up. He interrupts your life. And this is what he does in this man. He reminds us, he says, listen, you've been looking for movement in the water, and you don't even realize the Messiah is right in front of you. you you've been looking for movement in the water. And you don't even realize the living water is standing right in front of you. You, you have found yourself so, so tired and so weary. And I wonder if that's you today. We find ourselves so tired and so weary that we're looking for the water. But Jesus says, I got something better than the water. I got a word for you. I got something I'm about to say to you. I got something I'm about to speak over you. And listen, that's what he does in our own life. He gives us a word. What is the word? The Bible says in John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word is God. And the word was named flesh. Well, the word was made flesh. His name is Jesus Christ. That is the word over our circumstances today. That is the word over our pain today. We don't need a theological discussion. We don't need a theological discourse. We don't need to talk about how bad it could be and how bad it can be and how bad it is. But listen, when we get to the point where we understand that through Jesus Christ, all of his promises are yes and amen. Through Jesus Christ, I have access to everything that he has. I don't have to wait anymore for some superficial circumstances. All I got to do is come to Jesus. Jesus looks at this gentleman. He's looking at us this morning. He says, I'm not asking you a question. He wasn't asking him a question. He says, I'm making you an offer. Do, do you want to be made whole? Or do you want to just continue trying to go back to this dead water, this dead stuff that you think will find purpose and you think will find life? Some of us, we keep going back. Man, my education is what gives me status. No, that's not it. Man, my financial record is what gives me status. No, you're not going to find significance there. It's my relationship. It's what I have. It's what I do. No, listen, if you're looking for your success, if you're looking for your wholeness in your life, it's only found through Jesus Christ. Stop looking in dead situations and dead systems and dead circumstances and look up at Christ today. He said, sir, he didn't even know it was Jesus yet. He says, sir, every time I get ready to step in, somebody gets ahead of me. And Jesus said, what? Picture, this is how I read the Bible. Sir, do you want to be made well? Well, Jesus, I would love to, but every time I try to get there, somebody, get up! That's what he does. That's what he does. Because the Bible says, when did it happen? Immediately. Go, go to the text. Look. It says, immediately he got up. 
He didn't think about it. Be like, well, listen, ain't nobody here to help me to get up. Ain't nobody. Like, well, how do I get up? I haven't got up in 38 years. The Bible says he just, boom, he got up and, and he rolled up his mat. Watch, he, he, he got up and he, and he, and he rolled it up. It, he was telling excuses. I could just imagine. He's like, I was just talking. Jesus yelled at me. And he just told me to get up, and I got up. I ain't walked in 38 years. My, I didn't even know my muscles going to help me, but I just got right up, and I rode up the mat. I haven't walked in 38 years, but here I am now. I'm standing on the mat. I'm carrying my mat. I haven't stood up in 38 years, but here I am now. I'm carrying my mat. What used to carry me, now watch this. I'm now carrying what used to be my stumbling block has now become my story. What used to be something I was ashamed of, I now get to carry around and tell other people about the grace and the mercy of God the Lord looked at him he said get up and then watch he said now take your mat oh I love it he says take your mat with you why did he say take your mat with you I think he knew how the gentleman was because he just heard about it the gentleman was good at giving excuses and had the mat stayed there maybe he would have been tempted to go back but why would he go back he wasn't paralyzed he had been there y'all for 38 years all of his friends was there all of his social connections was there that's where he ate that's where he slept. That's all he had ever been knowing for 38 years. Jesus says, I want you to take your mat because I don't want you to be tempted to come back here. And watch, I want you to take your mat because everywhere you walk, people are going to see you carrying it. And they're going to know something happened. So I don't know what it is in your life. But for the first time in this gentleman's life, for the first time in this gentleman's life, what used to be, for the first time in his life, what was paralysis, and what used to be paralysis, now became his sign of purpose. What used to be the thing that was full of excuses, now, now was his testimony that he could share. He got up, he put, I don't know if he put the man on his shoulders, I don't know if he carried it under, 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 under his arm. But Jesus says, I want you to take it with you because I don't want you to have any excuses to come back. And I want people all around you to see what I've done in your life. Matter of fact, he got in trouble because it was a Sabbath. The religious people get mad, like, why are you carrying your mat on the Sabbath? You ain't supposed to be doing that. Uh, why are you doing that? He's like, listen, Jesus told me to get up. This guy said, get up. I got up. I can't explain it. I don't know why. He just told me to get up. I got up. My legs weren't working in 38 years, and now here I am, and I got my mat. I know I'm walking around. I know my life has changed. I can't explain it all. I don't have all the answers, but I know one thing. Jesus got a hold of me. I can't explain it all. I don't have all the answers, but I know one thing. I've got hope now. I can't explain it all. I don't have the answers, but I know one thing. I got joy. I got peace. My circumstances have changed now, and somebody this morning, I don't know who it is, but maybe you came in this place, and you've come in this morning and you're on a mat of depression. Maybe you came in this place and you're on a mat of anxiety. Maybe you came in this place and you're on a mat of self-pity. Maybe you came in this place and your marriage has been your mat. Maybe it's your finances that you said, but I it's been this way for years and I don't know. I mean, I could, maybe possibly it could change. Jesus is saying to you this morning, it's time for you to get up. It's time for you to get up. Come on, I want you to stand. It's time for you to get up all over this place because God has a way Hear me this morning. God has a way of taking our brokenness and turning it into our blessing. And what I love about when Jesus looked at him, he told him to get up. And then he said, take your mat and walk. Get up. Take your mat and walk. And he didn't watch. He did not heal him and then tell him to walk. He told him to walk and then he got healed. You see it? He didn't say, Jesus, Jesus didn't say, hey man, start walking. 
and then help him up, and he's going to start walking. He said, get up and walk, and the guy's like, I, don't, I ain't done this in 38 years, but I'm going to try it. Oh, snap, look, it worked. Look at me, I'm walking. Hey, hey, look at that. Yeah. What am I trying to say to you is, is oftentimes, hear me this morning, oftentimes healing comes in our obedience. We want it to feel right. I don't know what his legs felt like. We want it to tingle. We want it to do all of this stuff. But sometimes the obedience is not until I step out. God, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to step. God, I know I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to step. God, my mat is under my arm, and I haven't done this in a while, but God, I'm going to walk it out. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.